what I'm about to say. Hey. I thought you were starting. Oh. <laughs> hey, this is Shelby. And this is Courtney. And thanks for joining us today on All Things Macabre. Here on All Things Macabre, we discuss all the things under the topic of odd, weird, true crime, supernatural, and fiction. This podcast contains language and content that is not suitable for all listeners, so listener discretion is advised. If you find a topic we are discussing interesting, we encourage you to do some research on your own. You never know what you may learn. We are just a couple of old friends telling each other stories that we find interesting. And hoping that you'll enjoy and laugh along with us. Through some stories that are weird, true, or fictional that will just make you say, What the fuck? And now, for the fun part. Hey, Makai Mob, it's Shelby. And Courtney. How have you been? I've been doing pretty good. How have you been doing? Better. You know, as we discussed last time, you know, I've taken a choice on trying to rest and not, you know, push myself to overdo it a little bit. Yeah. So self-care is what I'm focusing on right now. What about you? Oh, just same old, same old. Same old, same old. Yeah, research, work, sleep, eat. Same old shit. Repeat. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I will warn the macabre mob that we're recording a little bit in advance, but we're close enough to Mother's Day that after this comes out, it'll be after Mother's Day, so we can kind of reveal what we've done for our mothers for Mother's Day. What did you get your mom for Mother's Day? Well, I gave her hers early because she came down here mm-hmm. and, you know, travel. <laughs> but I got her these little garden statues that light up little they were frogs. solar, right? Yeah. Uh, one of them worked. I don't think the other one worked. <laughs> Sorry, Kelly. Yeah. But but they were cute. So she's got a garden out there. It's actually a pretty big garden. A lot of different stuff. It's really pretty. It is. And she's got goats and chickens. And it's a whole zoo out there. It's pretty awesome. And she's gotten chickens since the last time before I've been there. Because whenever I was yeah. there, she just had the goats. Yeah, she's got six chickens. Six chickens? Yeah. Oh. Me, I got my mom a shirt for the podcast because I've always joked and said that mom is our momager. Yeah. Uh, you know, because she's always trying to promote us and talk to us. And she does or, a great job at it. Everybody. And she's she always talking about us. She does. And so it has like the our logo with the skeleton hand holding the microphone and then it says momager underneath it. So I was going to shout out the lady who made it for us. Impressive impressions. And her name is Sabrina, but as Shelby just said, her company's name is Impressive Impressions. And we'll link her social media on... It's a really cool shirt. Our stuff. And I'll even post a picture of the picture... A picture of the picture. I'll post a picture of the t-shirt on our socials as well, so you guys can see what she made and let us know what you guys think. Because and hopefully there's more in the process soon. Eventually, I eventually, guess. Eventually, Yes. But we, we want some. <laughs> and we will definitely be hitting you up, Sabrina, because this is 
So I mom's going to be the first to have an official All Things Macabre shirt. She gets it before we even get one. Yes. And even as we're talking, I can hear one of the cats jingling. So just for you guys, if you've missed a couple of our episodes, Shelby, would you like to kind of explain the cat jingle game? We're doing a cat jingle bell game. It's not really serious. I mean, if you can guess the cat, which jingle it is, that is amazing. Just timestamp it. Let us know. I've got the six cats. I've got them posted on uh, Facebook. And I'm a slacker, but Instagram is coming. I promise. And by this time, when this episode comes out, it probably will be on Instagram. But if not, it's coming. But it, it kind of started as a joke. One, because the cats will not stop. They just, they have to be heard. And two, because me and Courtney have always kind of talked about the fact that I can identify my cats by their bells without seeing them. And Courtney never could understand it until today. Yes, I was going to say, I used to give you shit and say that you were weird about that. Until today, whenever I was, I was in here in the living room and I heard one of your cats jingling and it was Meowth and I yelled at him and I said, Meowth, stop. Or no, I said, Meowth, is that you? And then I hadn't even looked at him and then it just dawned on me. I was like, I just identified yeah. him by the jingle of his collar, and I yelled at you, and you said, see, you can't do it. <laughs> so, they they all have a little bit of a different walk, a little bit of a different bell. You know, it, it sounds a little bit different, but it is, I was actually editing that last two podcasts ago. Uh, as I was editing it, I had trouble figuring out some of the bells, honestly. Really? Yeah. Because I was going to say, we if we do know who it's going to be at certain times, or or we could put it like maybe somewhere of saying, out of the six, these may be possible suspects. You know, For example, today, I took Pugsley's collar off. Yeah, he's naked right now, because he was being very, very loud. Yes, he he's <laughs> mad. We just put some ear treatment in him, so... He's out of the game today, so for this episode, I wouldn't suggest guessing Pugsley, because he's... He's not it today. But I do have to say, Lizzie has been really excited about this. Yes, she has. And <laughs> she is definitely going to be getting one of the stickers, which she sent us that story in last week anyway. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm excited to uh, get those stickers made up so we can send some out. She will be getting one. And the episode was the Yorktown Memorial. Yes. And speaking of her and stickers, she's talking about making us some fan art. And she was talking about designing some stuff for stickers, so we may start posting some of her stuff for. I am so excited for fan art. Yeah, so am I. That is so exciting to me. And so when it starts incoming, you know, or coming in, I should say, I can't talk today. English, you know, language (laughs) is hard. Um, Well, it's a good thing I'm telling the story today. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because my brain obviously is not prepared for that. But we'll start showing everything, and the more interactive everybody is, you know, we'll make sure to give you a shout out, and we'll. Help support everybody. So, what do you got for us today? Well, I got this guy named Archibald Beatty McCafferty. Beatty. Yeah, we're going to call him Archie. Archie McCafferty. That's a hard last name. Yeah, I just rolled my tongue a little bit on it myself. Archie McCafferty. McCafferty. Yes. He was born December 15th, 1949 in Glasgow, Scotland. So that would make him a Sagittarius. We've had a Sagittarius before, one of our most recent ones. I was trying to think of who it was. Somebody was a Sagittarius recently. But again, for those who may not have listened to those episodes, I'll kind of give you a quick rundown on a Sagittarius. Borders don't exist to them. 
they're always chasing new things, looking for the new fun next adventure to go on, especially in relationships or like even like being a friend with them. They're usually the one that's like, you'll text them, hey, what are you doing? And you never know if they'll be in the same state that you talked to them yesterday. And like, they're always on the move. They're always, like I said, looking for something new. They fly by the seat of their pants. Very. And they speak their mind. And their reputation is known to be pretty straightforward, and they may hurt your feelings, um, sometimes unintentionally, sometimes unintentionally, but yeah, that's the Sagittarius for you. Okay. Well, little disclaimer, I have most commonly seen the year he was born being 1948, not 1949, Hmm. but 1949 was the only one I could find that had an actual date, like the December 15th. Okay. So we're going to go with 1949. Then. And I also found that on the Australian Broadcasting Corporation. So I feel like they probably know their shit. So I couldn't find a whole lot about his childhood in Scotland. But I did find that when he was 10, his parents, Archie and Clementine. Clementine. Clementine migrated to Australia to start a new life with hope. Leaving the bleak middle class life they were living behind. They really couldn't even afford toilet paper and shit. Wow. So, 2020. (laughs) Yeah, the toilet paper fiasco. Current today times where you can't even afford freaking eggs. They were like tearing newspapers up and using that and stuff. It was also during this time, though, dealing with the war. So, they had a lot going on. Checks out. So, they first moved to Melbourne, and then they moved to Bass Hill in Sydney. Archie's father, Archie Sr., was reported to be verbally and physically abusive to his children. Oh, no. Now, I didn't get names or details really too much into it, Mm -hmm. but I do know that Archie had a brother, the junior. I I know he has a brother, but I don't know where the brother fits in. I didn't hear much about him. Okay. So, he would actually regularly beat Archie Jr. with a fireman's belt. I don't know if you've ever seen a fireman's belt, but they got huge fucking buckles on them. Yeah. And sometimes he would actually lock him in a cold bin, which I don't know how much you know about cold bins and stuff, but it's like this big bin that you could just throw your coal in to store it to throw into the fire to keep it going and shit. Never seen one, but I mean, this sounds kind of literal. It's a big box, but I mean, it's not really if you're going to have a person in there. The constant abuse affected him early in life. And said in an interview that he would actually take his dog for a walk, and he trained his dog to pin down little girls so he could go cut off their hair, like their pigtails or ponytail or whatever. And then he would run back home with the hair and put it in a box that he had in his room. What? Yeah. That's some crazy shit. I've... What? And I think this is still before he was 10, like before they moved. Train the dog. I don't hold me to that, but I think so. Train the dog to pin down little girls so he could cut off their hair. I have no words. I would... No words. I, uh, yeah. <laughs> His behavior, the reason I think that this happened before he was 10, was also part of the inspiration for their move. Hoping that, you know, a new environment and a better environment would help keep him from getting in trouble so much. But that also makes sense, though, since Dad's being abusive. He would react certain ways and do negative things to get attention because, you know... Any attention is better than no attention. So that, that checks out. So when they moved, his behavior really didn't get much better, obviously, because, like you said, that followed with him. And the police had actually picked him up for stealing, breaking and entering... 
and a bunch of other little petty crimes by the age of 12. That checks out. Well, they picked him up so much for that shit by the age of 12, actually, that he was sent to an institution. I was going to say, probably sent to JJ. Yeah. He, was, he spent the next six years between five different institutions. Makes sense, yeah. So one of the institutions he was in was the infamous Tamworth Institution. Does that ring a bell at all? Tamworth. No, I don't think so. Okay. So I guess it's not infamous to me. Well, <laughs> this is also another country. So True. He was institutionalized there from April 17th, 1966 to September 8th, 1966, and again from September 9th, 1967 to March 27th, 1968. So that totals around 11 months that he spent there. At first, I thought you was going to say September 9th of the same year, and I was about to say, damn, dude, like, you, what did you do within, like, less than 24 hours? Uh, <laughs> uh, you just keep on listening. Jeez. <laughs> so, the Institution for Boys Tamworth was established in 1947 as a punishment for boys aged 15 to 18 who would escape from other homes and such. So, it was kind of their last stop type thing. Yeah. Some of the people that had been institutionalized there had gone on to become some of Australia's most infamous killers and criminals. Oh, shit. More than 35 violent deaths have been linked to the guys that attended there as teens. Damn. And 15 of the deaths led to convictions for either murder or manslaughter. Shit. People that have been there in the past have described it as a concentration camp, Alcatraz, even say it's comparable to a prisoner of World War II, you know, during war. Damn. The boys were not allowed to speak to each other or look at each other, and they had to sleep alone in brick-walled cells that were freezing during the winter and extremely hot during the summer. That's ridiculous. Their toilets were just steel buckets, and the only light that they had came through an iron-barred hole. So this kind of reminded me of that one that Nellie Bly went to. Yes, you know? I was going to say that. And, obviously, that place was bad and turned out more bad. Yes. Some of the alleged punishments there, I say alleged because they're not proven, I don't think, but they seem to be very common between people. They include beatings, food deprivation, isolation, pushing heavy sandstone blocks across the floor, basically just making them do something Mm -hmm. to wear them out Mm -hmm. without achieving any kind of goal, and being forced to walk around with a cardboard box on your head, like... Sleep in it and everything. They just humiliating shit. That's bullshit. So as I'm sure you could imagine, suicide was so bad there. Yeah. That it finally faced closure in 1989. I think you need to do a story on just it. Because it's, it sounds, it's pretty wild. It sounds intense. 1989, they turned the building into an adult prison. Well, after they had closed it down and everything. And uh, some of the guys that attended that institution include Nettie Smith, one of Australia's most notorious criminals, leading a gang that committed crimes worth $25 million in 1980s. Now think about that. That's $25 million in 1980s. That's a lot of money. James Finch, one of the two men that killed 15 people in a firebombing in 1973. It was uh, Australia's Whiskey-A-Go-Go place. Okay. Uh, It was one of Australia's, at actually at the time, it was Australia's worst mass murder. Damn. Kevin Crump, a rapist murderer who has actually had their file stamped never to be released. Oh, shit. George Freeman, another alleged crime boss, 
and a few others. So, the chair of the Australian Psychology Association College of Forensic Psychology. You want to try saying that? That's a mouthful. <laughs> the Australian Psychology Association College of Forensic Psychology. Uh, you feel proud after you finish it, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, the chair actually said that the institution more than likely intensified the boys' violent tendencies that the boys had before they even got there. I definitely agree with that. Uh, yeah, I mean, what else are you going to do? You don't know how to do anything because everything you do is going to be wrong. And they don't teach you skills on how no. to they just learn throw you around and try to teach you from it. They, Like you said, they just try to push you around and occupy you so you don't cause them any trouble. That's really all it is. I mean, really, animals get treated better than that at yeah. shitty animal places. Yeah. So once Archie was in the institutions, he actually started to develop a liking for torturing animals. We all know how this starts out. He even once told a psychiatrist that he liked to strangle dogs, cats, and chickens just to see what it was like. Oh my god. He would also take the animals to the roof and throw them off. And then he would run down the stairs to see if he could (gasps) see them hit the ground. Or to at least enjoy the aftermath. Enjoy. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's sick. I don't know. It makes me feel sick just to think of an animal getting hurt. Oh, my God. By the time he got out of institutions at 18 years old, he was already labeled as a delinquent. Obviously. Obviously. One of the detectives actually said that Archie was the toughest kid he had ever met. Toughest? The toughest. Within the next six years or so, he had spent a lot of time in and out of prison with petty crimes like breaking and entering, receiving stolen goods, vagrancy, which is homelessness. Mm -hmm. Again, I don't think you should be arrested for that. And even assault. Racking up about 35 convictions. That's within six years. That's a lot. Although he did get convictions with assault, it was usually due to him fighting with the cops when they would come to arrest him or something. Okay. So because of that, he was never actually listed as a violent criminal because he didn't aim to hurt others for his crimes. He was just trying to protect himself at the end, which still violent, but I can see why they wouldn't label him as violent. I guess. I would have, but I mean, if you hit someone, you're going to hit someone. Uh, that's exactly what I'm thinking, too. Especially, like, the whole, you got me at... He was purposely hurting animals, so... But they didn't necessarily know this. True. That is that is true. That was... Yeah, never mind. Continue. So, though he wasn't violent, according to them, he did enjoy violent movies. His favorite movies, which I found a little interesting, which he would watch over and over, included A Clockwork Orange and The Godfather. Okay. Have you seen the clo- A Clockwork Orange? No, but... I, Stanley no. Cooper? Mm, no. Man. It's rough. Is it? It is. Uh, I actually read the book and saw the movie, and they're both rough. Like, it's very violent. Okay. Uh, the Godfather, obviously. Yeah. You know, it's, everyone knows that's violent. He also regularly did drugs such as PCP, LSD, and he drank heavily. Okay. So that sounds like a great cocktail there for a disaster. At 24 years old in 1972... He went to a hotel to drink and happened to meet the switchboard operator that worked there, or one of them. Her name was Janice Reddington. He fell in love with her, and soon after they got married. I didn't find a date in there, but I'm assuming it was pretty quick. And only six weeks after their marriage, 
Janice came home to find Archie in bed with another woman. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. Now, you think this would be pretty cut and dry. She catches him, she gets mad, he's all sorry, and tries to weasel his way out of it, right? I have a feeling, by the way, you said that wrong. Yeah, wrong. Archie got so mad that Janice caught him being unfaithful that he ended up beating the shit out of her. Out of Janice? Yes! Because he got caught for doing something wrong. Yeah, so he took it, he got mad and beat the shit out of her. He obviously knew that this wasn't okay for him to do, right? Like, after everything calmed down and he was like, oh, I can't believe I just did that, Mm. he actually decided to go get himself admitted into a psychiatric hospital. Okay. Okay. But he didn't stay long. Uh, I was, uh, yeah, okay. After a short time, he discharged himself because he willingly went in. So he could discharge himself whenever the doctors couldn't do anything. But technically it was still AMA, I'm sure. But, I mean, since he went in there willingly, he could leave willingly. exactly. So he figured he was better. He didn't need his medication anymore, which included sedatives. Oh, shit. So he tossed his medicine and started drinking heavily again. And that just led to him abusing Janice. (sighs) If... You've got medicine, and you think, oh, I'm better. I don't need it anymore. It's because because the medicine's working. working. (laughs) Don't fuck with it. Oh, my. So, anyways, Janice found out she was pregnant. Oh, God. But it didn't change anything about the way he treated her. No, I know that. He'd still beat her, and he would even strangle her to the point that she was ready to lose consciousness, and then he'd let go. I already can't stand this fucking That is so mentally... Oh, man. That that just shows that you're you've got control over someone to me. I'm quiet because I'm triggered. I'm <laughs> Eventually uh, it got so bad that one night he almost killed her and the baby. I believe it. So he decided again to go to the psychiatric hospital and told fun. them that he had thoughts of killing his wife and her family and he wanted to get rid of these evil thoughts. But again, After only a few days, he checked himself out, and he went right back to drinking and drugs. So there's a cycle. There is a cycle. We screw up, and we try to hold ourselves self-accountable for everything, or hold ourselves accountable for Mm -hmm. it. And so we try to do the the right thing, air quotations. And that's why why I put air quotations around that. And just because we show up for a few days, go through the process, we talk to people, we get the assessments, they probably prescribe us new meds, we still say, fuck you, I'm not going to take them. And then we leave. Yeah. Yeah. And then we're better. So most people who do go through that process end up realizing that I just need to fill my time with something productive. Yes. He went the same route with that. So he actually got a job with a waste management truck and going picking up trash yeah. and all. And it helped him stay busy through the day, but at night, the violence actually got worse. I guess building up throughout the day, whatever. Or he saw stuff that triggered him and made him think of things or, you know, he would just come back and take it out on her or God forbid. You know, the whole thing, I've worked all day, I'm tired, and mm-hmm. you said something to piss me off, so I'm going to beat the shit out of you. Yeah. So fast forward, Janice gave birth to their son February 4th, 1973. Bless you. Sorry, there was a cat sneezing during that. I don't know if you guys heard it or not. <laughs> Craig Archibald McCafferty. Archie's mom, Clementine, oh Clementine, said that the oh, birth of Craig actually changed Archie. 
making him softer, calmer, turning him into a totally different person. I call bullshit, but okay. Janice said the same thing. She said she disagreed with that. He was still drinking, doing drugs, beating her. March 17th, just about six weeks later, Janice was feeding Craig early in the morning. She decided to take Craig to bed with her, and that's, you know, a common thing. Mm-hmm. You gotta get up for those early morning feedings. You feed them, take them to bed with you because you're so tired, you mm-hmm. fall asleep. Mm-hmm. They sleep in the bed with you. That's what happened. She fell asleep. Mm-hmm. She woke up at 9 o'clock in the morning, found out that Craig was unresponsive. Oh, no. While she was asleep, she rolled over onto him. It was accidental suffocation. Unfortunately... There was no coming back for him. In the late 90s, statistics actually show that three out of every 28 unexpected infant deaths were due to accidental asphyxiation with breastfed Mm co-sleeping. So it's rare, but it's something that can happen to anyone. It's rare, but it's more common than what you think it is. I mean, three out of 28 is pretty high. Yeah, yeah. It seems rare, but it, that's pretty that's high. I said it happens more than you think it does. Yes, it is preventable. But I get it. We're human. Yeah, everyone's human. I mean, we all make mistakes. We all fall asleep without realizing it, without meaning to. So Janice was distraught. I'm sure. She felt like the only good thing that she had in life had been taken from her. Yeah, and she would never recover from this. But she was not held at fault. It was considered an accident. Which it was. It was. The coroner said that there is nothing that Janice did purposefully. It was a complete accident, but Archie obviously felt totally different. Of course. Archie hated Janice. Hated her for this. About a week later, he came after her with a picket from a fence. Like, you know. Yeah. Yeah, big board. Yeah. Yeah, he intended to kill her, but her brother stepped in and actually beat the shit out of her. Good. Uh, most likely they were taking out their aggression they had built up towards him for abusing her in the past and everything. But, yeah, they they tore him up. Which, I mean, like, I know I just said good. I don't condone violence, but karma is a thing. Karma, yes. <laughs> the next day, Archie actually went to his mom's house, and Clementine seeing him like this just stressed her out. I mean, he's all beat up and everything, all bruised up. She's trying to advocate for her baby and saying yeah. that, oh, my baby got well, beat up. she was like, hey, why don't, why don't you go back into the institution? Like, you, I feel like you need it. So, for the third time, he self-admitted himself. And that's the third time in only nine months. Damn. Which it wouldn't have been that if he would actually stay the entire time and, and actually got the help he needed. Yes. So, while in the institution this time, he met Carol Ellen Howells, a woman who had separated from her husband, and her husband kept the custody of their three kids. That caused her to attempt suicide three different times over the past two years. As they got to know each other in the institution, she actually told Archie that she had planned to try to commit suicide again, and he talked her out of it. So they really created a close bond with each other and really looked out for each other. When Archie ended up discharging himself, of course, mm-hmm. they decided to move into a flat together. Uh, I saw this coming. This included a 16-year-old girl, Julie Todd, who was also in the same ward as them being treated for various mental illnesses. What? She said that she had nowhere to go after she was released. So Archie and Carol were like, 
Well, I, you, can, you gotta have somewhere to go. Just come live with us. But he's still technically with Janice or married to her, right? Well, I mean, he hates her. Technically, I guess they are, but he hates her. Oh, okay. okay. So they decided to all three move in together, right? Bad idea, but okay. Yes. Archie was actually covered head to toe in tattoos. Aside from a large spot on his chest that he was saving for something special. He got a lot of tattoos while he was incarcerated. Mm -hmm. But a lot of these, you know, they were really crude tattoos, obviously. He actually got a lot of them covered up professionally while he wasn't incarcerated. So, I mean, he he did get them touched up, but he was covered all over, Mm -hmm. except for his chest. Mm -hmm. So, once he was discharged, well, once he discharged himself from the institution... He actually decided he was going to fill that spot in on his chest. It was going to be a memorial tattoo for his son. Okay. He decided he was going to get a tombstone in the shape of a cross, embedded in a blood-red rose, inscribed with, in memory of Craig. He also decided to get his favorite number tattooed in the webbing between his thumb and forefinger. And he didn't have a lot of space left, so where else are you going to put it? He got the number seven. Seven. He did everything in sevens. In an interview, he actually said that if he had an itch, he would scratch it seven Seven times. times. If he brushed his hair, he'd do it seven times. He would count to seven after lighting a match before he'd light a cigarette. Very ritualistic. He would blink seven times or knock on a door seven times. So, what got me with this, a lot of people think OCD is, oh, everything's got to be clean and germaphobe and stuff like that. That is not the case. Yes. Obsessive compulsive disorder. You obsess about something. Mm -hmm. I have a touch of OCD. I've got to put my left shoe on before my right. It bugs the hell out of me if I don't. Like, I've got to actually take my shoes off and redo it. So that is an OCD thing because it actually impedes my daily function. Mm Mm-hmm. You you know, because y'all like to fuck with me. My volume has to be on an even number. Yes. So if the volume on a TV is on an odd number or something, it stresses me out until I fix it to an even number. I remember we were at your co-worker's house that day, and you could you were trying to turn down the TV, oh, yeah. and it got stuck on an odd number. Oh, it, you were about to have a full-blown pla- pa- panic attack. A full-blown panic attack yeah. because it was stuck on an odd number. Yeah, and it's... Nothing about it. Like, I don't think something bad is going to happen. It just stresses me out. Hell, even ice cubes. Whenever I get, like, a glass of tea or something, if it's the big ice cubes, mm-hmm. they got to be odd numbers. Three, five, seven, nine. I don't know why. I don't know why. I did not know that about you. <laughs> yeah, so, whenever I hear this, I think OCD. I do, too. So, this is actually when he decided that he was going to avenge his son... By seven people I having to die. I saw where this was going. I, I, oh, God. Yeah. So, this if seven kill bled seven over people, quite a bit. Then if, I, if I kill seven people, then that will technically bring my son back? Is that where this That's is That's where going? he's thinking, yes. So, at this tattoo shop we were talking about, Archie met his, I'm going to call him his gang. Okay? This is where a lot of people actually say that he's the Australian Charles Manson. And I'll talk about that a little bit more, but... Really, I don't see the similarities. Mm -hmm. I think they were just kind of tagging along for that name. Makes sense. But three 17-year-old boys, you ready for this? Michael John Meredith, Mick, Richard William Whittington, Dick, and Donald Richard Webster 
Rick. I knew he was going to say Rick. Uh, Mick, Dick, and Rick. <laughs> <laughs> that reminds me of like Huey, Dewey, and Louie. <laughs> About five months after Archie had tried to attack Janice with that fence post, mm-hmm. the day before Janice was exonerated for Craig's death on August 23rd, 1973, he threw, well, let's just say two bricks, were thrown through her home window with notes wrapped around them. She hadn't heard from Archie in like five months, but it's pretty obvious who the fuck it is. Mm-hmm. So the, who else would it be? Well, it, this just pretty much confirms it. The first note said, you and the rest of your family can go get fucked oh. because anyone who has anything to do with me is going to die of a bad death. Oh, okay. You know who this letter is from, so take warning because Bill is the next cab off the rank. Then you go one by one. So that's the first note. Okay. The second note, the only thing in my mind is to kill you, your mother, and Bill Ryan. This is not a bluff because I'm that dirty on all of you for the death of my son, but I can't let it go with that. I have a matter of a few guns, so I'm going to use them on all of you for satisfaction. Beware. Now, a little side note, Bill was Janice's mother's boyfriend. Okay. So, basically filling for dad there. I mean, it's obvious who the notes are from. Yeah, because not just anybody would know this stuff. Yeah. So, the next day, Archie and his gang began his killing spree. They started by doing some PCP, well, he did. And stealing a Volkswagen. Casual. Mm-hmm. And then they decided to go, you know, cruise around and find a victim. So the gang he had with him were mostly teens. And they thought they were just going to go jump somebody and rob them. But Archie knew he was planning to do much, much worse. Oh, Jesus. So George Anson, a 50-year-old World War II vet, would sell newspapers outside of a hotel. After each shift, he would go into the bar of the hotel... And he'd have some drinks, you know? Mm-hmm. That's pretty common. Mm-hmm. As the hotel was closing on the night of August 24th, 1973, George stumbled out of the hotel bar and started to stagger home. He was obviously hammered. Because George was so drunk, Archie figured, eh, be an easy target. So they ran out of the car and they dragged George to a side street. George was so drunk, he didn't even know what was going on, so he didn't resist. Damn. But... When Archie grabbed him by the throat, that woke him up. He knew what was going on. So then George started calling Archie names. At this point, this pushed Archie over the edge. He started kicking George everywhere he could, as hard as he could. And this is the first time that Archie said he heard a voice telling him, Kill seven. Over and over, just kill seven. Kill seven. George was turned with his back towards Archie, trying to get up, like, out of the gutter or whatever. Yeah. And Archie stabbed him in the back, in the back of the neck. Seven times? Seven times with a knife. God. Archie kicked him in the face one final time, and then he ran off to the car. The others were shocked about what just happened. Yeah, because they thought they were just going to rob somebody, right? Mm Mm-hmm. The only one that questioned Archie was Rick. He said... Why the fuck would you have done that? Archie said, I stabbed him because he called me a young cunt. Now drive, you fucking idiot. At that moment, Archie decided that he just wasn't going to be able to trust Rick. So Rick was going to be one of his seven victims. I was going to say, Rick's got to go now. Archie tossed the knife, covered in blood, to Julie, 
who I believe was in the back seat or something, but she stashed it under the seat, and no one said another word about what happened. Obviously, I'd be scared. I mean, I wouldn't say what's shit going either. On? I, I don't think I would have said anything even like Rick did. I, I was going to say the same thing. On the way back to the house, they stopped to get burgers for the group, and Archie washed the blood off of him in the bathroom, just some fast food place or something. Mm-hmm. So while Archie was washing up, he looked up in the mirror, and he saw his son calling to him. So he reached out, but he was gone. Then he heard, kill seven. Kill seven. Again. For the second time. And this is all his account as to what happened, yes. right? Yes. When they got back to the apartment, Julie cleaned the knife and gave it back to Archie. Then he tried to explain what happened, saying that he couldn't help himself, he couldn't stop, and he didn't understand why he did it, other than hearing Craig's voice and telling him to kill him. Archie often visited Craig's grave, and Carol would go with him a lot of times. She said that he would just sit there and cry, telling Craig that it wasn't fair, he never stood a chance, and that he would avenge his death. So Archie took his gang to the cemetery three days after he killed George, just to show them Craig's gravesite. Mm -hmm. Archie had been taking PCP all day long. So when they got to the gravesite, Archie said he heard his son's voice again telling him to kill Seven. They stayed for a little bit, and then they went off to a bar to plan the next thing to do for the night. And what's our next heist going to be? Whatever. Yeah. But Archie just really wanted to get back to his son's grave. So the gang dropped Archie off at the grave, and then they dropped Julie and Mick off to go hitchhiking. Because it was a cold, rainy night, and there were two teens. They needed a ride. Once the car stopped, they pulled guns on him and forced the driver to drive to the cemetery where they robbed him. That's why I'm not allowed to pick up anyone. I don't pick up anyone really anyway, but I don't even stop to help people anymore. Because you never know what's going to happen. No, you don't. So while Archie was waiting at his son's grave, we're going to step away from the hitchhikers for a second. Archie said that he saw a glow of light around the grave. And then he saw a figure of a man just outside the glow of the light, around 19 or 20 years old. But he knew that it was his son, Craig, grown up. Okay. It's weird, right? Yeah. But then again, we're also doing PCP. We are doing PCP here, so. As he approached the figure, the figure said, Dad, is that you, Dad? And Archie just knew it was his son who had come back from the grave. Is that you, Craig, he asked? Yes, Dad, it's me, the voice replied. But son, it can't be. You're dead. He said, do you want me to come back to you, Dad? Archie said, of course I do, but how can you do that, son? He replied, You've got to do something for me, Dad. Do this thing and I will come back to you. Do you want me to come back to you? Of course, Archie's like, yes, yes, more than anything in the world. I will do anything to have you back. Anything, anything you ask. He says, you must kill seven people. As soon as you do, you can have me back. But you must kill seven people. Kill seven. Kill seven. Kill seven. That's whenever headlights started pulling up to the gravesite. It was Julie and Mick pulling up with Ronald Cox in his car. Ronald Cox was a 42-year-old coal miner who was just on his way home when he saw the two teens in need of a ride. Mm -hmm. They forced Ronald out of the car when they got there, and they made him lay face down in the mud. Archie and Mick both had some sawed-off 22s held to the back of his head, so Ronald started begging for his life. Archie could only hear Kill 7. He didn't hear anything he was saying. He just wanted to kill Seven so he could get his son back. That's all he heard. 
Archie then told Mick that they would have to kill Ronald because he had seen all their faces. So he told Mick to pull the trigger. Mick hesitated. He's like, I I don't know if I can do this. So Ronald took that opportunity to beg for his life again. He told him, look, you know, I got to get home. I got to get home to my seven kids. He said seven. He just happened to have seven children. And Archie was like, oh, shit, there it is. It's a sign. Gotta kill him. Oh, shit. I was thinking of him saying seven kids so he would let him go, not kill him. Mm, that's all he had to say. Archie and Mick both shot him in the back of the head, God. killing him instantly. Oh, God. So as they were leaving the grave, Archie looked back to see the light still glowing around the grave. And the figure of his son was standing there laughing, so Archie started laughing hysterically with him. Now, if I was his little posse or whatever, I'd be freaked the hell out. I would be too. I'd be like, um, guys, did mm-hmm. you see him? I mean, granted, all the other stuff he's doing anyway, but... They went back to the house, and they sat around drinking beer, watching TV. They all seemed pretty comfortable with everything that happened. I love how you just murdered somebody, and then it's like, let me just go home, let's watch some TV, drink some beers, you know, casual. And see, this is kind of where they try to pull in the Charles Manson. I thought they would pull in the Charles Manson thing because of him having, like, the air quotations gang of people. Well, yeah, that that's it. They just, he basically led this gang of kids around doing his killing, and... But he, Archie himself, is killing Charles, well, Charles Manson. There was a kill there, but yeah, no, Charles didn't actually kill anyone. He didn't kill anybody. So, even he will say that, like Archie says, that they just pulled in Charles Manson and tried to make money off of it, tried to get it out there and all that. I I kind of agree. There's, There's really not a lot of similarities. So, I know that whole thing was fucked up. But... A little? Yeah. But I just have to throw this in there. Later on, after he was arrested, Archie was very open about this. He actually said to a detective that he only had one regret about killing Ronald. It's that he didn't do it closer to his son's grave so some of Ronald's blood could have splattered onto his son's tombstone. Oh, That was his only regret. Oh, my God. That's fucked up. Only a few hours after coming back home... The voice started telling Archie again that he needed to kill Seven. So Archie told Julian Dick to go find another victim. They went out, the same ploy of hitchhiking and all that. Evangelos Coleus, a 24-year-old man, stopped to help them. When he stopped, Dick pulled a gun on him, forced him into the floorboard in the back seat, and Julie drove the car back to Archie's. Archie got in the driver's seat, and they drove around with Julie and Dick telling Coleus that they needed the car so they could go find a factory to rob, and he wasn't going to be harmed. So Coleus eventually just fell asleep in the floorboard in the back. Me, personally, I don't think I could do that. Be like, you know what? You can have the car. Just let me out. Yeah. It's cool. Just take the car. You know, I I don't even like that car. Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) I would not be falling asleep. I... I don't know if maybe it was stress. He passed out? Yeah. I don't know. But Archie decided that once he finished killing Coleus, he would drive the car to Janice, her mother, and her mother's boyfriend, Bill. And then he would only have one more after killing all of them for his seven kills. And then you know he planned on killing Rick, so he was actually going to be the seventh. Yeah. So Archie told Dick to shoot Coleus. Pause right here for a second. 
He tried to get him to shoot the other one, right? He tried to get Mick to shoot the other one. Yeah. If you're trying to avenge your son, shouldn't you shouldn't be you trying be to do it? it? Yeah. Just throwing that out there. But anyways, he tried to get Dick to shoot him, and Dick said that he didn't know if he could do it or not. But then Colia started to wake up, and Dick, he got scared that it would cause a scene, so he shot him, killing him instantly. They went to a nearby road to drop off his body, and even though he was already dead, Archie actually told Dick to shoot him again, so he shot him in the head again. Damn. Archie started to head towards Janice, but then he noticed that the car didn't have enough gas in it. He didn't want to draw attention to himself by going and filling the car up at a gas station in public, and someone having a chance to see in the blood all in the car. Mm-hmm. So he's like, well, you know, this is gonna, this is gonna set us back, but it... Only by maybe a night, you know, like, we'll be able to do it tomorrow or whatever. Like, we'll just go back to the apartment, whatever. One of the other members of the gang, no one has ever admitted to it, but one of the other members told Rick that night that he was on Archie's hit list. Oh, shit. And Rick knew that Archie was going to make good on that threat. Rick actually worked at a major newspaper at, like, the building was shared between other businesses. Yeah. But he worked in, in there and... And the next day at work, he noticed that Archie, Mick, and Dick had parked outside in a van. Rick knew they were waiting on him to leave so they could kill him. Yeah. So Rick had someone call the police. The police arrived in just minutes, and Rick told them everything that he knew about the three murders. Oh, shit. So the detectives, trying to be smart, they quietly called for backup. They sealed off the streets in the area, and heavily armed police surrounded the van, and they surprised him. They had no idea they were coming. So, they apprehended all three of them. No problem. On the way to the police station, Archie admitted that he killed three people. Then he told the cops that he was planning to kill Janice, her mother, her mother's boyfriend, and that he was planning on actually cutting off Janice's head, putting it in a box, and mailing it to the chief of the Crime Investigation Bureau. Oh my god! He made no attempt whatsoever to deny the murders, and he made no attempt to deny that he was going to kill others. Like, he was just, he was an open book about it. So in 1974, Archie pled not guilty by reason of insanity. Obviously. Mm. As well as the other five. They, the whole gang pled not guilty for all the charges. The press went crazy about this. This is where the murders were labeled as thrill killings, and everyone wanted to know about the Manson-like cult figure that led his followers into senseless killings. So this is where that comes into play, that and having the kids and all that, but it, it really doesn't fit. So during the fourth day of the committal hearing, Archie asked the judge if he could make a statement. One of the other accused had a lawyer that was trying to say that his client wouldn't have, they wouldn't have done the things that they did if they had not been influenced by Archie. Mm-hmm. I get that. They're a kid. Yeah. The judge allowed Archie to make the statement. Are you ready for this? No. Excuse me, your worship, before the court starts. For the last four days, I've sat here listening to Mr. Bannon criticizing me on things that I've done. Now, I've been wanting to say this for a long time, and I'm going to say it this morning. Mr. Bannon, if you're listening, I'd like to cut your head off. Oh, my God. Mr. Bannon was shaken, but he went ahead and proceeded with the case because Archie was handcuffed, heavily guarded, and he was heavily drugged. So, before the hearings, every morning, he was given a heavy dose of tranquilizers to help subdue his uncontrollable outbreaks of violence. 
It is said that his dosage was high enough to bring a racehorse to its knees. Shit. And that barely did anything to Archie. Probably because of all the drugs. Yeah. Yeah, he had a high tolerance. I want to say it was like four times the recommended dose. God damn. That's a lot. (laughs) Yeah. So, during this trial, three different psychiatrists gave different opinions about Archie's mental state during the killings. Okay. One said that he thought that Archie was insane at the time of the killings and did not know he was doing wrong. He was a paranoid schizophrenic at the time of the killings, and that was it. I could see where paranoid schizophrenia would come into it if the drugs were not involved. I mean, I I take that back. He still could have undiagnosed schizophrenia, and the drugs amplify it. That is very true, but I do think the drugs play a heavy part in this. I could be wrong, but the second one, I believe, worked in the same company as the first one. He said that he knew what he was doing was wrong, and that he may have had an isolated schizophrenic reaction at the time of the second killing, but that did not make him a paranoid schizophrenic. That part I agree with. That illness doesn't exist one day, and then disappear the next. Yes. And then come back on the third day. Yes. That's what he's saying. He's saying there's no way he's a paranoid schizophrenic. Now that, yes, I do agree with that. And that's why I said it's hard for me to say that. That's why I think that it's the drugs because of that reasoning that it's just, you know, it comes and goes at his discretion. Yes. You don't control paranoid schizophrenia. No. So the third one actually went right in the middle saying that Archie was insane, but he knew what he was doing at the time of the killings. What's his justification for him being insane, though? I don't really know. I didn't really say. I think he was just like, oh, I'm going right between. However, they couldn't agree on his sanity, right? They all three agreed that no matter what, Archie could never be set free. Nah, I do too agree with that. They all agreed that he was an extreme danger to society. So when Archie had his time to speak, his statement was, Your Honor and Gentlemen of the Jury, Firstly, I would like to say, at the time of these crimes, I was completely insane. The reason why I did this is for the revenge of my son's death. That is what made me do it. Before this, I had stated to a doctor that I felt like killing people, but up until my son's death, I had never killed anyone. My son's death was the biggest thing that ever happened to me because I loved him so much, and he meant the world to me, and after his death, I just seemed to go to the pack. I I feel no wrong for what I have done, because at that time, I didn't think it was wrong. But after my son was killed, I tried to kill my wife, and I was admitted to Parramatta Psychiatric Home because I knew I needed treatment. So I signed myself in, and I was there for a number of weeks. I think, if given the chance, I will kill again, for the simple reason that I have to kill seven people, and I have only killed three, which means I have four to go. And this is how I feel in my mind, and I just can't say that I'm not going to kill anyone else, because in my mind, I am. Whether you think I'm sane or insane is up to you, but I would say that I was definitely insane at the night of these murders. The day of my son's inquest at the coroner's court happened to be the day that I stabbed Mr. Anson. 
And the reason why I killed this man is because I heard my son's voice tell me to do so. The same with the second and third person. Each time I went to the graveyard to visit my son's grave, a violent streak would come over me and I wanted to be so violent I wanted to kill people. I kept hearing voices, not only my son's voice, but other voices as well, which I don't know whose they are. On the Thursday that I was apprehended, I had every intention of killing Rick Webster. As I heard the voices tell me to do so and anyone else that the voices tell me to kill, I would kill until I reached the figure seven. I still say I felt no wrong in what I have done, and I am still willing to kill anyone else that I am told to kill. At the time of my son's death, I took it pretty hard, and since then I have not been the same because I loved him so much, and I believe in my own mind that my wife murdered him on purpose, and that is why I killed these men, for the revenge of my son's death. And that is the honest truth. So I hope that the jury and your honor will believe what I said. That's it. What I take away from that is that he's just still hell-bent on getting revenge because he's so angry at Janice for killing his son. And he feels that since he is obsessed with the number seven and he's so hyper-fixated on that number, that that is his reasoning to do it. And he justified the, the fact of, you know, explaining why that is. And he also said that he didn't feel sorry, or I'm also thinking that... Yes, we're focused on the number seven right now. But who's to say, once you reach number seven, that you don't now to start thinking, well, what about eight? What about nine? What about ten? It doesn't need to be 77, because his son's not going to come back. Exactly. Because that's my thing, too, is after he killed the seven, he's going to realize his son's not coming back. So that's going to amplify him, and he's going to keep going and try to do it. And so, you know, I... Maybe it's 700. (laughs) You know, who knows what he's thinking. There, There is a lot playing into this. I do feel like mental illness does play. I mean, I know. I, feel I know like- mental illness plays into it quite a bit, but I know that he is sane. Yes. Because he knows why he's doing it. Yes. But he doesn't think it's wrong. Yes. So I, I can see the insanity in there with the sanity. So Mick and Dick were found guilty of the murders of Ronald Cox and Evangelos Coleus, and each of them were sentenced to 18 years. Rick was found guilty of manslaughter of Ronald Cox, and he was sentenced to four years. Julie was found guilty of murdering Cox and Coleus and was sentenced to 10 years, but on May 20th, 1974, not very long after getting in there, just after turning 17 years old, She was found hanged in the bathroom at the detention center. She hung herself. Oh, shit. Carol was found not guilty on all counts, but that's because she didn't actually participate in finding or killing anyone. And she just happened to be eight months pregnant with Archie's baby when the verdict was read. Oh, my God. So, as they were taking him or whatever, she told him, I'll wait for you, Archie, no matter what. I'll always be waiting for you with our child. And then she moved into Archie's parents' house to have the baby. So, there's that. Archie was handed three life sentences, and then he was led back to prison, swearing to kill again, and even shouted that he would kill four more to avenge the death of his son as he left the courtroom. That's not it. That's where part two comes in. I'm kidding, guys. I'm (laughs) kidding. (laughs) Archie was so hard to handle that he was shuffled around to the toughest prisons, and officers and psychiatrists treated him as extremely dangerous, 
Especially since his one thought, the one that he was obsessed about, was killing four more people. That's all he could think about. He had been through almost every max security prison in the state by 1978. Damn. And just two years later, he had loosened bricks in his cell to try to escape. But someone tipped off an officer, so it was discovered he didn't get to. In 1981, Archie was charged with the murder of Edward Lloyd, who was stabbed to death in his cell. But his co-accused, Kevin Gallagher, was actually found guilty of the murder. And it was proven that Archie was there when the murder happened. He denied it, but he was actually found guilty of manslaughter and given an additional 14 years just for being there. Oh, shit. That pissed him off so much more because he claimed that he was framed. He wasn't there. Then he started naming the people that were responsible to the authorities. Uh-oh. So now we're going into snitching. Not only was he snitching on other people... He was snitching on the officers that were fucking up. Oh, shit. So, obviously, at this point, he became an outcast in the system. Yeah, I'm sure. He actually got transferred from one jail to another for his own protection. I'm surprised they just didn't slap him in isolation and be done with it. Well, they did. They actually put him in witness protection, too, because he was telling on the officers. Damn. So, he actually ended up going into witness protection. But in 1981, he was caught with 10 packages of heroin 10 wrapped packages of heroin and the judge gave him another three years oh my god so throughout this no one ever said whether archie could ever get parole or not i guess they were just like oh he's got three life sentences he'll never get out and that was it so archie was applying for parole time after time after time until in 1991 his application was actually heard before judge justice wood and he granted him a 20-year parole period dating back from 1973. That's before he was even in there. So, now he would become eligible for parole August 29th, 1993. Oh, shit. His anger actually calmed down over the years until he was able to be put in a minimum security prison. Now, he's not in prison for the rest of his life. He's got something to look forward to. He could get back out. He actually became a model prisoner for the last four years. I knew you were going to say that. He was even allowed to leave, go stay with his brother, his brother's wife and their children on the weekends, Friday through Sunday, with no supervision. Eventually, the trust was developed so much that he was also allowed to leave six days a week on work release. So the parole board agreed that he's a changed man. He's no longer a danger to society. So they they decided they were going to release him on parole, but on one condition. Get the fuck out of Australia and never come back. So we don't give a shit if you finish your other seven. You just yeah, just not here. Australia. Just not here. So they said, you know, yeah, we'll, we'll put you on parole. We'll release you, but... You gotta get the fuck out you, of here. You gotta leave. You're not staying here. You're deported. So May 1st, 1997... He was put on a plane and sent back to Scotland. Remember, he was born in Scotland. Mm, yeah. It's a place he hadn't seen for almost 40 years. So once he was in Scotland, he reunited with Mandy Queen. Mandy was a woman he had married and then divorced while he was incarcerated. Oh. Shortly after arriving, in an interview, Archie actually said, I've come out of the system a good person, a changed person. 
I believe that people change. And then he toasted with a glass of champagne with Mandy and said, This is my first drink since 1973, but now there is no need for alcohol in my life. It's a thing of the past. I don't need it. That sounds good. I call bullshit. Yeah, it sounds good, but if you really don't need alcohol, you wouldn't need to be Why are you drinking the champagne? Exactly. In October of 1998, Archie was put on two years probation after he threatened to kill cops after a car chase that started with him drinking and an argument with Mandy. So, Mandy claimed that he left the home with a four-month-old baby, and Archie was like, yeah, all right, I'll plead guilty to careless driving, driving with no license or insurance, failure to provide a breath sample, and breaching the peace. But since his previous convictions were in another country, that was foreign. They weren't going to take that into account. Yeah. So... He and Mandy actually got remarried in a secret ceremony that same month. I, I don't know how that... Good job, Mandy. Yeah. So after they got married, they moved to England and had a baby girl. So now he has another kid with her. Mm-hmm. In June 2002, cops were called for a domestic dispute, and Archie actually stabbed one of the officers with a knife, oh, and he shit. was charged with assault. He was supposed to go to court in November that year for it, but he didn't show up to his court date, because he and his family actually tried to move to New Zealand, and a warrant was issued. <laughs> New Zealand was actually tipped off about this, and they were like, mm, no, you gotta go. So they kicked him out of the country, and he spent time back in England trying to actually hide in Northern Ireland. Okay. Then he moved back to Scotland, where he lived for about two months before officers tracked him down and gave him a fine of, you ready? 50 pounds... And had to perform two months of community service. That's it? That's it. That is it. In April 2004, he and Mandy had another fight. He had slashed her with a knife. Oh. She and their baby girl fled, but Archie kept their five-year-old son, and he actually held him hostage with a knife to his throat. Oh my god, yeah, because I was about to say, wait, just the girl, what happened to the kid, the other kid? Uh, I guess she couldn't get both of them. <sighs> About an hour and a half later, he actually finally surrendered his son to the police. And then another half hour or so, he gave himself up as well. He pled not guilty to assault, abduction, and attempted murder. Not guilty? Not guilty. And because of his previous murders, not being in the country again, they didn't take those charges into account. So, he only served six months in jail. Again, I say that's it. That's it. And this led to Mandy leaving Archie. So she moved back to Australia to try to reunite with her daughters, which did not go well. But at least in Australia, she feels safer because he's not supposed to be there. Right. So this is where Archie met Charlene Love in 2008. And they quickly started a relationship. As one does. And in November of the same year... He was pulled over driving a stolen car and was found to have been living under the name James Locke to try to escape media attention, which I do understand that. But once he got pulled over for this, he was outed. So, that was over with. He was sentenced to 200 hours of community service for driving a stolen car. In August 2012, he was seen working with Charlene at her dress shop in Edinburgh. Continue, and he was still continuing to lash out and get angry with reporters asking him things, taking his picture, and all that. And he's still with Charlene and all that. But that that's pretty much it. He's just out there still living. 
I guess working in her dress shop. Pugsley! Stop! So there's interviews and stuff he's done. He he doesn't like people coming up talking to him. He claims to have been a changed man now. I guess he's not trying to kill the other four. I'm not sure. Uh-huh. He's been seen, like, trying to move down closer to Australia again. So they don't know if he was trying to sneak in. I don't know. He's also tried to, numerous times, publish an autobiography. It's called Shall Seven Die? But it's continuously failing. Uh, and <laughs> I know one YouTube I watched, she tried real hard to find that book, trying to find anything about it. There's no way to find that book. So, I don't know if it'll ever get published or not. Probably not. I hope not. I hope not for his sake, but I would like to read what he had in his head. Only if the proceeds went to the victims. Yes, I agree with that. Yeah, I'd be down for that. But that is Archie McCafferty. He Wait, is also- that's how it ends? Yeah. He's still out. He's alive. What? He's, yes! I was not expecting it to end that way. That's why I didn't respond that way. That, I was- that's it. Uh, he's out he's- living with Charlene. At her dress shop trying to make a book that is like still to this day. Yeah. I, I thought you were going to like just break, you know, come up with that and then say, and like five years later, he got arrested and he's in prison. To- what? That's it. You know, what the fuck, right? No. Yeah. He's still out. Uh, he has not gotten in any trouble since that I know of, which I mean, he's old now. That don't mean shit. No, it don't mean shit. I mean, look at some of the other old people that have been arrested, but. That's it. Mad Dog. They called him Mad Dog. Archie Mad Dog McCafferty, the Australian Charles Manson, got deported out of Australia, and now he's walking around a free man. I have no words. I was not expecting that. I wasn't either. I whenever I ran across this, I was like, "How have I not heard about it?" That is a mind. So he's just chilling, living his life, yeah, doing what old men do or whatever, and trying to make a book. Yeah, which, like I said, there's some interviews out there you can see. I mean, he looks like a happy old man doing well now. I don't know. That it blows my mind that you could do all of that. And still have a life. Well, that was like the Golden State Killer, you know? Like, yeah. he was left off the radar for fucking ever, and he was an old man, like, retired. Just... But at least they got him and threw him in prison afterwards. Yes, but he lived under the radar. Or, he you know, he did get away with it for years. For, because of that. Yeah. And just to think that he's just chilling and living his life after he slaughtered people, you know, and did yeah, all I don't, shit. Yeah, I don't and... understand how people can just be like, alright, I'm gonna go to bed now. Like, I just killed someone, but I'm gonna go to bed and keep on with my life. I, I can't even hurt somebody and go to bed. Like, that shit will bother me for months. I really was not expecting that. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> I, I had to throw one in there that is just, I don't know how they, I, I feel like he got away with it. Yeah. I mean, considering he has been a bad egg from the get-go. Yes. Why is he not in a hospital or something? And the fact that he just was able to fly under the radar because Australia like was like, Peace out! You yeah, know? We don't want to yeah. deal with you. You're too much. <sighs> yeah, so. Good old Australia. They got the emus and got rid of Archie. 
I don't know what to say to that. <laughs> I mean, that's it. That I don't even know how to end it. What the fuck? There you go. Yeah. Like, <laughs> so that's what I got. So until next time. Hopefully you guys are just as shocked as I was because I did not see that coming. <laughs> this one definitely made me say what the fuck because I know at the end of our episodes, you know, we're all like, did this one make you say what the fuck? Like, yeah, yes, it did. Yes, it did. For sure. I actually ran across this on uh, a website I found through a Russian search engine. I just happened to find a website and started looking through articles and I found this and I was like, how have I never heard of this? I didn't see that coming, but <laughs> good job for that. You're like, good job on like putting this together because you got me. I was not expecting this at all. <laughs> well, in that case, um, the next time you guys see an old man on the street, he may just be a recovering murderer. I'm just saying. <laughs> I mean, still wave at him, say hi, so you don't become one of his seven, but. No, just don't mention numbers to anyone. Yeah. Um, do that. <laughs> Hope you guys have a great weekend. Bye. See ya. <laughs>